welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just talk for 30 minutes without my notes. Yeah, I agree, Flynn. This is going to be fun. And because I don't have Justin's gift of memorising references for scriptures, I'm going to give you all my scriptures now that I'm going to quote and that I'm going to speak from, and you can look back at them to make sure I got it right. So for those that are taking notes, this is for you. For those that aren't, you're just going to hear a whole lot of just references right now. Numbers 7, Genesis 2 and 3, Exodus 3, 2 Chronicles 35 verse 3, Romans 6, 23, John 1, 5, Joshua chapter 3, Joshua chapter 6, 1 Samuel 5, 1 Chronicles 26, 1 Chronicles 13, 14, 2 Samuel 6, number 7, 1 Samuel 4, 1 Peter 1 verse 15, 1 Samuel 7, 1 Kings chapter 8. And if you need that again, I'll just give it to you at the end of church. So um, I want to highlight, if you just notice there, there's a lot of Old Testament scripture that I just rattled off. And I don't often speak from the Old Testament. It's not because I don't value it. It's not that I don't appreciate it. It's not that I don't like it. It just requires a lot more study (laughs) than the New Testament for me. I'm not a Bible teacher. I love studying the Bible. There's a huge difference in that. There are people in here that can probably preach this sermon that I'm going to preach today far more knowledgeable and have far more information than what I'm going to share. But I'm sharing what I I felt God wanted me to share. Does that make sense? So I spent a lot of time this week studying the Bible. I was actually vomiting on Tuesday, so I was in bed um, reading and studying, and most days this week just just highlighting and and stepping into what I felt God wanted to share today. So we're going Old Testament. For any of you in here that think Old Testament we just bypass because that's law and one to grace, you are correct in that that's law and you're under grace, but we don't bypass it. It's not a, we skip the old just because we're now new and we've got Holy Spirit and we're after Jesus, so we just focus on the new. We don't do that. The Old Testament is a beautiful picture. It shows us the importance. It shows us the magnitude of what we actually have today. It shows us keys and tools that we can apply today in our lives that uh, if Justin was here, I just felt myself, if Justin was here, he'd be sitting there going, slow down, Lee, you're talking too fast. I'll slow down now. The Old Testament (laughs) shows us so much power of what the New Testament has. It gives us examples, it gives us truths, it gives us um, ways that we can live our life today. Even under grace, there is so much we can learn from that and apply in our life today. So today when we talk about the Old Testament, today when we dive into it, I want us to, yes, look at it through the eyes of grace and through new covenant, but also look at it from this is truth from there and God put it in the Bible for a reason and a purpose and there's power in that for our lives today. There is things we can learn from that that we apply in our lives today under the new covenant, under grace. So as I said, some of you would be far better, I don't know if I said it or thought it, some of you would be far better at teaching from the Old Testament than I am because I'm not a teacher, I just love studying the Bible. But in my word today, I'm not giving an exhaustive list. Yes, I will acknowledge. I'm going to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And there is so much more to this than what I'm going to open up today. So if you're sitting here going, Lee, you forgot to talk about this, you forgot to add this, you forgot to say this, you forgot to... Yeah, I've got 30 minutes. <laughs> there is no way in 30 minutes I can go through every area of what I wanted to talk on today. 
So I'm focusing on the areas that I felt like Holy Spirit wanted us to focus on today as a church. This week when Justin said to me, Lee, what are you preaching on? I didn't say Ark of the Covenant. I said that just then, but it's far, far more than that. So I'm speaking on Obanedom. And he looked at me. He goes, is that a token message? Because <laughs> I've preached on Obanedom maybe once or twice before and I absolutely love him and he's amazing. And um, I looked at him and said, nah. I didn't want to. I've got about three sermons I'm working on at the moment to deliver to this church, but my study hasn't concluded, so I'm not ready to preach them. I still have questions. I like asking questions. When you read the Bible, ask questions. It is so, God will reveal so much more than what he's just written on the surface. And so I've got these sermons sitting there and I thought, all right, I'm going to study one of those again to try and finish that off and share that. And God said, no, I want you to speak on Obanedom. And so when Justin said Obanedom, is that a token message, an easy way out, one you've already done before? I said, well, I do love him. I, do pre- I have pre- preached on him, but this is a completely different message that I feel like Holy Spirit wants to open up in Echo Church today. So let's go to the history of the ark. Moses. God gave Moses the instruction to build the ark of the covenant, not the ark as in Noah's ark, ark of the covenant. And... Um, Moses built it and it was specific. He had to use certain types of materials, acacia wood, covered in gold, certain dimensions, certain things went in it. There was the wings. You could only carry it. There were, there were um, wings. Then there were rings that you put poles on that only priests could carry it. It was very specific instructions for the Ark of the Covenant. It wasn't a willy-nilly like an Ikea, you know, few bits and, you know, good luck. There was actually specific intention and design in every thought process of the ark being built. Why was the ark so important? Because God and sin can't coexist. Ah, Yeah, the passages that I read, yeah, that covers that theological statement. God and sin can't exist. And so in the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't come yet. So God wanted his presence to reside with his people. The only way he could do that was through the Ark of the Covenant, through a physical thing because Holy Spirit, Jesus hasn't died for forgiveness of sins, past, present, future. So Holy Spirit isn't within them. So God creates the Ark of the Covenant so the presence of God can exist. If you look at maps of what it looks like, the tabernacle, Ark of the Covenant, the people around, he's in the middle the presence of God, the other covenant, is in the middle of the Israelites. Literally, they're all camped in order, in structure, in systems, all around the tabernacle where the presence of God resided. They're all there. And the presence of God is in the middle. We're saying that today, you are in the middle of it. God is in the middle of our life. He's in the middle of your situation. He's in the middle of what is going on in your life right now. And so he puts the presence, Moses, the Ark of the Covenant is in the middle of the people. And time goes on. The Ark of the Covenant is, you know, Joshua, when they cross to the Promised Land, the Ark of the Covenant, they carry it properly. Who could carry the Ark of the Covenant? Priests only, via the poles. They couldn't touch it. The poles were through links, through rings, massive. Carry it. So they carry it through the water. The Ark goes through. When everyone passes, then the Ark comes behind. God's presence guided them into the promised land. Then in Jericho, I love this story. I've taught it in kids' church so many times and I've always read this, but I didn't put two and two together. The Ark of the Covenant, they carried seven days around Jericho. 
I always focused on that story of the singing and the, you know, the dancing and the instruments and the worship and all of that brought the walls down. But the presence of God was there in the middle of it. In the middle of it. Doing the seven days, the priest carrying it. Seven days. Breakthrough. Walls coming down. Presence of God is in the middle of it. Then centuries pass, you know, and we could go, my, I've got 30 minutes. Centuries pass. I'm down to 21. Centuries pass. And then the Ark of the Covenant, oh, this is where I need, is with Eli. With Eli, and Eli has two sons. And his two sons are wicked. The Bible tells us they're wicked. So Eli has it, the two sons are there, and the Israelites are facing the Philistines. Now, the, the, the history of the ark is it's in the middle of his people. Whenever they do a big exploit, the ark is there. The presence of God is there. Now they're fighting the Philistines. Where's the ark? Not there. So one of the wicked sons goes and gets the ark to bring to the battle as a good luck charm, as an afterthought, as a Hail Mary. Who knows how Mary's isn't how God operates? He wants to be in the middle of it. Not the afterthought, not the... Now, he is kind. And sometimes I do a decision and then go, sorry, Lord, can you bless this, please? And he's kind. But the ark and God's presence is meant to be in the middle of it. So consequently, one of the wicked sons goes and gets the ark at the battle and guess what? They lose. And the Philistines go, huh, your God is here and we won. Our God is more powerful than your God, so let's now take the ark and put it in our temple with our God, Dagon. We know the story? References said. So they put the ark in their temple. The Philistines put the ark in their temple with their God, Dagon. And what happens? Dagon face plants. Why? Because God is the only true and living, powerful God. No other God can stand the presence of our true God. They stand Dagon up, it happens again, limbs are severed. Not only that, is they get plagues and the Philistines, all this stuff happens. So they go, let's get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. We don't want that God anymore. Trouble comes when that God is here. So it gets passed, you know, to a piece. Now the names start getting hard for me, so we're not even going to try. So it gets passed to a group of people, and 70 people decide to open it. I know, morbid, and they all die. Hey, I know, Old Testament. Ah, thank God for grace. Obedience is a big deal. See, in the Bible, the first time the word holy is used in Genesis, when God... After God creates creation, and then he has a Sabbath, and he goes, this is holy, meaning this is a set-apart day for me. This is a set-apart day for my purpose. Holy is an important word in the Bible. This is set-apart. The next time is Moses with the burning bush. And God says, this ground is holy ground in Exodus. This ground is holy ground. Last Sunday during worship, now I've been very open and transparent in my strengths and non-strengths. 
And see, in church, you don't take your shoes off because that's inappropriate. What if I've got odd socks, holy socks, there's in holes in socks? <laughs> and last Sunday during worship, I'm standing here and God says, take your shoes off, this altar is holy. Oh, well, do you know how nice it is about the lights in your eyes? I might start preaching from here. <laughs> Sorry, Mitchie. So last Sunday, I'm thinking in my head, but have I got the right socks on? Have I got, you know, is this appropriate? Who's looking? This isn't the order of the service, like this. And God said, take your shoes off, this altar is holy. So last Sunday, halfway through worship, I take my shoes off and I stand here in worship. And I have a moment with Holy Spirit, just going, the altar is holy. You have literally God. Ah, as a teenager, I was raised in this church. As a teenager, I've stood here on the altar and you have wrecked my life forever, God. This altar is holy. So when, you, when an opportunity is given and a couple of people came up the front and just laid it all down this morning, it's, there is something incredible about responding in a holy moment, a moment that is set apart for God's purpose, a moment that is set apart for his special um, reasoning, his purpose, his design. And so the Ark of the Covenant was holy. It was holy. So when God says only priests can carry it, but they have to carry it on poles, the fact that people opened it and died seems harsh, but sin and God cannot coexist. And so they, after that moment in time, went, we've got to get rid of this. So they pass it on and it ends up at Abinadad's. And Abinadad has a couple of sons. And Abinadad, I'd like to say this, he didn't touch it and he didn't open it up because he didn't die, but nothing happened like walls coming down and crossing the river. So I believe Abinadad did the bare minimum to save his life, but didn't appropriate or understand the power of the Ark of the Covenant. And so Abinadad has the Ark of the Covenant for 20 years. 20 years and nothing of note is mentioned. And then David is now in, like, we've now gone, like, this is five centuries. This whole, like, 15-minute explanation is five centuries. And David goes, hey, I want the ark in Jerusalem. Let's bring the ark back to where it's meant to be. Let's bring it back. So check this out. Like, this is where the story gets fun. David gets 30,000 men. 30,000 to go to Abinadad's to bring the ark back. Now, you've got to understand how many people were alive at that time in Jerusalem. 30,000 in ratio is like the biggest event in history celebration. Like, think about the grand final in Melbourne that's going to be happening soon. That's nothing compared to the noise and the celebration, the rejoicing that 30,000 men did over bringing the ark of the covenant back home. Think about the Olympics. That's nothing in today's like world compared to 30,000 men going to bring the Ark of the Covenant home. Like they are rejoicing, they are loud, they are celebrating, they are, yes, the Ark, the presence of the Lord is coming home. So they get there and David, I have no idea why he does this. 
Maybe he didn't read his Bible. Maybe he didn't read how they were to export, export the ark. So David says, put it on an ox. Maybe he didn't know. I'm going to give him that benefit of doubt instead of, eh, I know better than God, reasoning. So they put it on an ox. They're all cheering, celebrating. The ark, the presence of the Lord is coming home. And Uzzah, Abinadad's son, who has lived with the ark for 20 years, is walking with the ox to bring the ark into Jerusalem. The ox is not meant to be carrying the ark and as a result gets wobbly legs and as a result the ark starts to wobble and Uzzah puts his hand out to steady it. Dies instantly on the spot. I don't know why David put it on an ox and didn't get priests to carry it. I don't know why. But here's what I know. Uzzah has had the presence of the God, the presence of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant for 20 years. And he was so familiar with it. And he was so blasé with it that he went to touch it. He didn't understand how powerful the presence of God is. He didn't actually understand the holiness of this moment. He was candid and he touched it and he died. So then David freaks out and goes, yeah, we're not doing this trip anymore. And finds Obed-Edom and says, put it in Obed-Edom's house. Now here's some points about Obed-Edom. He's not wealthy. We know that, okay, Lee's assuming, but he's not in the city. He's in the outskirts. Like property market is expensive in the city and cheap in the outskirts. We know he's not influential. He's in the outskirts. We know he doesn't have a voice in town. He's not even in town. He's in the outskirts. The ark didn't make it to Jerusalem. It's on the way and they pull it into Obed-Edom's house because David is fearful. So Obed-Edom, who is a priest, ticks a big box there, knows how to treat the Ark of the Covenant, knows what he's taught from generation down from the priest, priest line. He knows. He gets the Ark and he treats it how a priest was meant to be, how it was meant to be treated by a priest. So he gets the Ark and he has it for three months. Three months he has it. Oh, man. Get this, church. I'm leading to some great points. He has it for three months. Now, in three months, he's on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And in three months, the Bible says that he and his household were blessed. Are your brains starting to start thinking this through? Three months. They don't have social media where Obanidim's taking selfies in front of his crops that are prospering. Hashtag crops that are prospering. Hashtag bearing fruit out of season. Hashtag, oh my goodness, my cattle are thriving. No social media. He can't pick up his phone and say, hey, David, you need to come and check this out. 
David, you need to see what's happening in my house. No. In three months, his life has to be blessed that much that his neighbours start talking. And then their neighbours start talking. And then their neighbours start talking. And their neighbours start talking. And their neighbours start talking to the point where it gets to King David in the middle of Jerusalem. In three months, meaning prosperity didn't go for blessing. Blessing didn't start in three months. It started instantly. That quick, that word of mouth had to make it all the way to David. We're not talking about internal here. Oh, he was blessed with peace, which, anyway, one of the commentaries, you know. You can't see internal blessing. Do I believe that happened as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it was visible enough for word of mouth to take note and gossip about it. So it gets all the way to David. David, the billionaire, Hey, I want the ark. (laughs) So David goes and gets the ark and this time does it properly. Puts the poles through, gets the priests. Not only does what was required, but goes the extra mile and every six steps they sacrifice in case someone sinned in six steps. Holiness is a big deal. When God, when you said yes to Jesus, God said you are holy. You are set apart. You are set apart. You are holy. The presence of God is within. The presence of God is here. Yes, when we come together, the presence of God also comes upon and comes among but he's within. So when you look at yourself, I am holy. I am set apart. Oh, oops. I am set apart. It's my mum. She's meant to be watching me. Hi, mum. I'm set apart. Everything that happened to Abinadad is for me. Albert is set apart. So when I look at Albert, who's been called holy and set apart, I don't look at Albert and go, it's just Albert. I don't do a user and become familiar with the presence of God in Albert's life and treat it uncaringly. But I look at Albert and when he says, Lee, I've got a word for you, I position myself to go bring it on. I'm not treating you as familiar I'm treating you as holy and set apart, hosting the presence of God that speak forth truth. Ah. I love it that people are talking about Oban Edom. Obed Edom. Like if that was social media today, it would have just like gone off the charts. 
and they're talking about him. People are talking about him and what's happening in his life. The reality is, is our lives should reflect that. Our lives should reflect who he is and what it looks like to have the presence of God within. Our lives should look like that. And what's beautiful is, even after David takes the ark and people stop talking about Obed-Edom because David puts it in the middle, in the temple, so everyone gets the benefits of God's presence again, like with Moses. Obed-Edom is now a distant memory, except where does Obed-Edom choose to lie? He becomes a gatekeeper at the temple. The presence of God has left his house, but he has gone after it. He's positioned himself as a gatekeeper at the temple. People are not talking about him anymore. People don't give two hoots about who he is anymore, but they see him as a gatekeeper. They walk past him as a gatekeeper. Check this out. In Chronicles, it lists the gatekeepers It gives you a list, like this person and their sons totaling this, this person and their descendants totaling this, this person. The most a family, the most in one family who are gatekeepers at the temple is 18. 18. Yeah, oh, gee, that's, like we're talking men. 18 men of one family at the gate as gatekeepers until you get to Obed-Edom. 62. they tasted they experienced life with God's presence and not only did they but they passed it down to their children and their children to the point where all of them are saying God is that good I want to be as close as possible to where he is So 62 of them position themselves as gatekeepers at the tent, at the, sorry, temple. 62. And the beautiful thing about it is he's here. And he's here for my children and their children and their children until Jesus comes back. And we get the awesome privilege of hosting his presence, of not becoming familiar with his presence, but treating his presence as a gift, as powerful. And we get to talk about it and treat it so beautifully that the generations reap the benefit of what I experienced, of what you experienced. grandparents in here this is for you grandparents this is for you you get to host his presence and talk about his goodness to the next generation and they get to experience it and then they get to pass it down to the next generation parents this is for you This is for you. 
You get to invite your children in the greatest gift ever. The greatest story ever to exist. Future parents, this is for you. One day, you're going to be able to tell your children about the goodness of our Father. The presence of God. It guides us. We get breakthrough. Walls come down. We know where to go. Blessing comes. Provision comes. And then we end up in the story with Solomon in Kings. I'm going to close with this. Actually, Mitchie, can you jump up on keys? With Solomon. So the Ark of the Covenant, because I've got like two minutes. I'm going to read this. Two Kings 8, verses 10. Okay, before I read. So then Solomon comes after David. And he builds the temple, Solomon's temple. So he moves the Ark into Solomon's temple. He builds it all right, everything how it's meant to be. And he gets the ark and they carry it into the Holy of Holies. Again, how God instructed it to be done. And then in Kings chapter 8, verse 10, it says, When the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because the cloud, ah, for the... For the glory of the Lord filled his temple. And this is, I believe, the last main reference of the Ark of the Covenant. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple. We're under grace and not law. But you can see from this story how important the Old Testament is and how much we can learn and and how much we can receive for today's life. Is we don't have to go to a temple for God's presence, but we have to get to go, Holy Spirit, you're here. God, you're here. I can be driving my car. Holy Spirit, you're here. You're here. I don't have to go somewhere. (laughs) To experience Him. But in actual fact, He's never left me. He's always here. to be alive what a day we get to celebrate who he is and what he's done for us because of Jesus 
There is no sin for us. We're completely forgiven, therefore have complete access. talking I wasn't going to do this but I just feel to do this as we've been talking 